0: Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of The BIP Show. I'm Paul Colgan. I'm delighted to be here, and we're recording this episode at 3 p.m. in Sydney on the 29th of May, 2020. Why The BIP Show? Well, it's BIP for business, investing, and policy, and yes, it's also a bit of a catchy name. We're going to cover business, investing, policy, central banking, and public policy, so um, we'll be looking at markets and economics, of course, and in this show, we're going to look at uh, the market recovery after the COVID-19 meltdowns and the global economic Uh, outlook or perhaps the global economic fog such as it is. Uh, We'll touch on bond markets and the potential next move from the US Federal Reserve. We'll look quickly at currencies and commodities, especially gold, which has had a bit of a stellar run. Anyway, through all of this, I'm going to be ably assisted uh, in hosting and commentary with the help of Mr. James Whelan, uh, investment manager who runs macro strategy at VFS Group. Uh, G'day, James.
1: Always great to be here. Thank you. And welcome to our little paradise that we've got here at Darlinghurst, Paul, uh, live from the Darlinghurst studios, mate. It's it's so good to see you again.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, great to be in an office, uh, of all things, uh, what's, a, what's served as an office for me in the last little while as a small corner of uh, of the house in, in, in Petersham. But okay, uh, I'm also joined by Ken Vexler, Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer at Acumen Management, and he joins us on the line from Amsterdam today. G'day, Ken.
2: Hello, fellas. Very, very good to be here. And, uh, yeah, it's been a long old while.
0: It has. Uh, Good to be chatting again. Okay, look, after the COVID-19 meltdown in February and March of this year... Risk has been uh, well and truly back on in some quarters uh, over the recent weeks. Um, and now on this debut episode of the BIP show, and we have no idea if this is going to work, mind you, uh, we're going to talk about some of the things that have been going on in markets and economics on a weekly basis. Um, this week, the talk of the town has been the rally in stocks. Um, given that we're recording on a Friday um US President Donald Trump's going to do a presser tomorrow, We're going to talk about China. Um, that took um, some of the shine off the spectacular rally in, uh, in global stocks this week. Um, But the S&P 500 has put on something like nearly 100 points this week. The Dow is up something like 7,000 points from its lows in March and has been charging ahead. Um, And I think it's a timely reminder for everyone that markets don't have emotions, they don't get viruses, uh, but in some ways they do act like time machines, particularly with stocks. Um, they're marking out what where they see things being in the future, which is basically not too far off where they were back in the before times, if we want to call them that. Um, so, look, we've been, seen a big return to um, the overall risk on thematic, and that's swept through, too, to the Australian dollar. Um, that is the picture. Ken, I'm going to start with you. Um, you've coined this phrase, the lobotomy paradigm, uh, which I love, um, for where we've ended up after all the chaos of uh, February, March. But take us through this lobotomy paradigm as you see it now. Um,
2: yeah, thanks, Paul. I suppose, look, uh, in, in headliner, in very simple terms, the lobotomy paradigm to me, uh, was the quickest and easiest way to explain to clients that the environment now dictates that you simply take your brain out and trade. You, you, you deal with what you see in front of you rather than what you perceive could be, should be given the backdrop. So, in simple terms, I suppose, you know, extrapolating on that, economically, we expect things Generally, to be fairly terrible, given what we've seen in the preceding months, given the unemployment rate and and the the sheer numbers in the US and globally as a consequence, given, well, everything that we've seen go on. However, uh, consequently, we've seen, as you've mentioned, uh, European and US equities go significantly higher, basically recover a good chunk of of what they they lost in the uh, February-March period. And subsequent to that, you've also seen uh, a general risk theme, uh, as you've also correctly pointed out. The issue is is that, you know, everyone talks about the fact that the market's not the economy, the economy's not the market. doesn't matter. The reality of it is everything's been underpinned, at least for the near term, by uh, significant historic amounts of uh, fiscal and monetary stimulus. Uh, We've been told as a marketplace that... uh, The government and the various central banks have our backs. And let's talk about where we are in the here and now. And the here and now is that uh, things aren't necessarily that bad. Places and countries and cities and whatever else are being reopened slowly but surely. Infection rates are seemingly coming down. Uh, And as a market, we're in a discounting mechanism, and uh, apparently, you know, it's it's incredibly efficient, and we've discounted exactly what's going on, and here we are. Human nature, by you know, by definition, is optimistic, right? So as a consequence, uh, we're always going to be looking at the upside, and the upside for now is that unless the world ends tomorrow, life goes on, and with life going on. Therefore, we must obviously get back to the way things were. The other the other side of it is, and why I've sort of looked at it as all one trade, we have lived more or less in a world of zero interest rates up until this pandemic, and certainly post it, a world of QE and, and a, a means by which to try and get out of it, but failing to do so. And in the absence of other asset classes that work on the basis of, you know, positive interest rates and interest rate differentials and sort of mechanisms that we're used to, you know, pre-GFC, there almost is only one alternative and, and hence the acronym that was that was coined TINA or whatever it is, you know, and that one alternative is pretty much the, the S&P and the S&P leads sentiment and the S&P leads other global indices. And as a consequence, everyone looks at what the S&P is doing. Um, If the S&P is going high because there's nowhere else to put your money because things are growing and the U.S. is great, well, then the risk on and and here we are. So the lobotomy paradigm is sort of a, a very broad simplification of the fact that there's no point thinking about what happens when there's a second wave, which I believe there's a decent chance of you know, that eventuality, because when it happens or when we get evidence of that happening, well, then we'll deal with it and the market will reflect it. Now, I, I'm not saying that we're going to go up ad infinitum from here going forward, but at least the price action that we've seen in the recent couple of weeks, to me, is just a case of, well, you know, what can you do? We're here now, and in the absence of anything counterfactual to that, this is this is the
1: direction of travel in the near term. Mate, that's, I, I, I've never heard anything summed up so well. And I'm on board with it. Oh, uh, thank the, you. Oh, there you go. Okay. So yeah, you can switch off now, Ken. Thanks, mate. Uh, it's, been, uh, it's, been, it's been it's been it's been it's been good. It's been emotional. Well, it's
2: back to my coffee. Uh, yeah. yeah good I, show, everybody. Yeah, finish your
1: coffee. I'll finish my beer. Yeah, good. Good. The, uh, the, uh, see but, you, but, yeah. But our job, our job, Ken, is to like you've always got to keep an eye out for, for for what the potential downside is. And I swear to God, if I had a dollar for every time that I've I've seen downside and I've seen a potential risk, and I've like, obviously you see the potential risk. If I had a dollar for every time that happened, then I'd have, you know, I'd, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, we'd be having this conversation on a boat, on a private
2: island, James. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'd I'd be buying one of Branson's islands off him. But the, 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 okay, so we switch off and we and and we go on and we're and we're and we're deep, you know, you know, we're deep in this market. Mm. I've I've got Mm. zero cash on accounts. Like I am, I am as deep into equities and every single angle as you possibly can. I've got zero cash to spend. Where, the how long does how long does the lobotomy trade run?
2: Yeah, I mean, and yeah, you, you, you bang on, and and obviously, coining it, that take your brain out and off you go. Well, there are two facets to this. One is what is your investment slash trading horizon, and two is it's bloody glib. Like I, I can't just obviously, I'm not taking my brain out. I've been doing this north for twenty five years. If I took my brain out, I would have blown up more times than you've had hot breakfast, right? But what I'm getting at, I suppose, is that you can't sort of well, it's not that you can't, but you have to be conscious of of where the momentum is and trying to short a market that's, that's clearly just ramping in your face because you perceive the risks uh, to be something other than what the market's pricing is just going to end up hurting you. So I suppose the counter side to that is that uh, don't discount the risk. Don't just go, well, that's it. Rose shaded, rose tinted glasses on. Here we go. Happy days. It's more a case of a trailing stop be conscious of the fact that you might be deep in the money because you've caught the last two weeks of this rally um, and just, just trail your stop because it could turn on, on, a, on, a, on a dime, right? And if it does, it takes your stop out, probably doesn't go as far as you think it should, get back in type thing. But don't, I suppose to me it's just a case of it probably won't go as far to the downside in acknowledgement of a risk as it should and that's for me the biggest issue.
0: Um, James, uh, was it last year you um, after a sort of mild surprise rate cut from the U.S. Federal Reserve, um, you were talking regularly in the media about your um, approach, which was at the time which was bright by everything. Basically, it was it was bullish for um, bonds in terms of cap, capital growth. It was bullish for stocks in terms of um, people. F- Trying to find some place to put risk, um, and um, so I thought I thought it'd be worth um, reminding you of that. Bring bring it back up and asking, is this the same? And if not, why not? Maybe you can start by talking about the original buy everything trade, why that worked,
1: I'll, I'll, and then I'll give you the exact scenario of where buy everything came from. And I'm not the guy who coined the phrase, and, and uh, we could look it up and find out who who it was. But buy everything. It actually – so uh, it was the day after Scott Morrison was elected, actually elected the prime minister. It was a massive surprise to everyone. Again, the pollsters got it wrong and that was it. I got uh, Matt Burgess from Bloomberg. He gave me a call the next day. He said, mate, I, I want to get a few words down. You're the guy. Um, what have you got? And I was in, I was in Meyer and I was, I was looking for a new pair of chinos and i've gone you know what and I, I i did the interview as i was looking for a fresh pair of pants okay this seriously and he's
2: <laughs> is is that on the back of the wind or of the yeah on
1: the back whatnot? of the wind no this was it i was my <laughs> tail was up no seriously seriously
0: was is your coalition government um
2: i was more i was more concerned why you needed new pants but anyway I mean,
1: go co- coalition on coalition
0: government pants but okay go
1: ahead truth yeah, truth exactly. be, truth be told truth be told truth be told at that time we didn't know on that, on, that, on that Friday, going into that Friday for markets, going into that Friday, we didn't know what we were going to do on Monday if Labor got in because, remember, they were going to take out stamp duty, they were going to negative gearing, it, and, yeah. and none of this was actually planned for. It was all just we're just going to do it, and it was like old policy.
0: And a lot of that was, was priced into particularly bank stocks. Um,
1: right, yeah. and, yeah, Royal Commission, everything was bad, everything was bad. And then, okay, so ScoMo got elected, great, and the next day I was just going, you know, I'm going to go and buy some pants. So, I've told, you know, as I do – and we'll go to Paul Colgan with his good old fashioned story of going chicken shopping with the family, which is a great Colgan family experience for fresh chicken, uh, cooked chicken actually. Uh, yeah, do so w- yeah, barbecue chooks. Yeah. And so, so Matt, um, so Bloomberg had me on the line, and I've and I, I just ran through all the things I said. So now, you, now we can buy local stocks again, right? With all the passion that you like, banks are back on the books, mining is back on. I mean. I actually said this, ScoMo in parliament with a lump of coal in his hand, he's on board. So that's fine. And we're okay with gold because you've got to own gold and US stocks and everything. And it was 2019. Let's rock and roll. And I just said, mate, buy everything. I'm buying pants. This is what I actually said: I said, I'm buying pants. I'm buying a fresh pair of chinos, get out there, retail spending, get into it, buy everything. And it was, it was the most retaily. He said, can I quote you on that? I said, mate, go nuts, go nuts. Buy everything. Then that that that's that's where that came from. And then I ran with it, and it was. But actually, when you put your okay, you know, I've been in this for a bit for a bit too. So it's easy just to just to have a throwaway phrase. But it was like at that time, yeah, because the fundamentals were there because the the economy was growing because the ten years of paying for all this stuff, the GFC was finally solved. Get involved. China was on board. Emerging markets were on board. I was about to start thinking about. uh, I think I was long, I was about to get long copper. I was about to get, I I was long emerging markets. I was about to get long Russia of all the, of all the places, right?
0: There were signs of our progress on a a, a trade deal. Yeah. And, and, and,
1: and, yeah. And the trade deal was always a buying opportunity. Okay. It was just running around that, the the carrot on the stick, chasing it. The market, the market dumps on some Trump nonsense, buy the market, right? And, And it was just buy everything, buy everything, buy everything. Now, now the buy everything is okay. This is so Ken. This is the way that I'm the, the way that I'm putting right. Is that yeah. you? Could, you take your brain out, and I've got two alternatives, right? So I've got either you're in the market or you're out. You definitely don't short it, right? This is the, the, that's mm-hmm. the way that I'm. That, that's why that I'm putting it. Shorting it is that is the biggest mugs game that there could possibly be. So yeah, you're in. You're in. Or you're out. You pick your sectors and, and you go nuts. Currencies. Ugh. Long, long, long—the Aussie dollar. Like it's uh, that, that. We'll get to that later, but yeah, yeah. And the and the other side is that either, and this is the cynical, the, the the cynical professional sort of side of me that comes in. And this is this is probably I, I may have learned a few things off your Twitter feed, Ken. Of <laughs> either the cynical, it, it's this little, it, it's this little, just sort of like just the realism that kicks in. But it's also because we're trying to make money for people and we're trying to protect capital and doing all that stuff that we're supposed to do. But that this kicks in either and this is where I'm at now, you're in and you're in because either the economy grows organically or it grows synthetically and they're the two, they're the two alternatives. There is, no other, there is no third alternative. Either the doors are open in the US, people are out, they're partying in the Ozarks, go nuts. We're out, the pubs are going to be at 50 people next week. We'll get to the cricket soon because that's, that, that's important. The NRL started last night. This is, these are things where people – with no other alternative, capitalism has to move. Right? Yeah. Well,
0: People, quarter three around the world is going to be a growth story, right? Right. Because yeah. um, and if it, everything and, was shut down in Q two.
1: Yeah, and and but here's the thing: if there's this second wave, and there will be, nobody cares. Nobody will care. It will just happen, and we'll just keep on moving through it, and so we're, we're prepared for
0: it. Interestingly, South Korea is looking like it's in the middle of a second wave but you don't see people panicking right
1: so that's when the synthetic thing comes in and if actually if if for some reason places actually have to have to shut down and things have to stop and things have to sort of you know then then that's when the synthetic growth comes and you know that we all know we can go in guns blazing and absolutely know that every central bank and every government has got our back and the markets will be propped up by the synthetic money and that's the, the, that, that cynical part that comes in
0: so here's an interesting question then that arises as a result of that is the reality is the rally synthetic right so there might be um, you know growth from fiscal um, growth from um, central bank money printing QE or yield curve control we'll talk about yield curve control uh, in a bit Um. But, you know, central bank intervention or, or government intervention. Um, but either way, this creates more debt, more public debt. Um, that is going to have to be removed. So are we in this situation again where we're um, borrowing from the future to create growth today, which has been a big yep. story since the GFC? Ken, go, might go Ken,
1: go,
2: go. Yeah I was just going to say Colgo, I mean honestly I, I'm not I'm not neither a fan nor a detractor of MMT nor nor a huge you know proponent of it either way but honestly th- this notion of public debt you know it's 2020 after 10 you know 10 years after the GFC 12 years um and God knows what's going. On. Public debt just doesn't matter. Who cares? Like it's just more zeros on a number that just doesn't matter to anyone. Um, and as far as this rally or as far as this move, is it synthetic? I think I think for the most part, probably is. But it's a combination, to me at least, of part synthetic and part muscle memory. Um, and given everything we've just discussed over the last whatever fifteen twenty odd minutes, it's hard to imagine that that we're you know. That we can be anywhere else, really. It sort of makes sense now in hindsight, and narratives generally are made up because it's human nature to try and rationalize and explain that which you couldn't previously uh, also see religion. but anyway, um, the the other side of it is uh, to James's point, I agree it's, it's you know there will be growth, I suppose, even in the in the presence of an inevitable second wave. It's just that we're going to be reverting to okay. And you know the world's going to be okay, type thing. It's just a case of the pace of that reversion, and there'll be some faltering. There'll be some two steps forward, one step back type scenario. But on the whole, we're talking about you know the pace of that reversion. So Q3 might look good comparative to Q1 and two, obviously, if things you know if people are opening their doors again, coming back to work. Q4 might be an absolute nightmare. You know where do we end the year? I don't know. My crystal ball's in the shop, Uh, but you know, on the whole, yeah, we sort of progress because, well, that's, that's human nature, right?
0: That's right. Uh, look, we're going to take a short break uh, and we'll be back after this. We're going, to talk about, um, we're going to talk about bonds. We might look at some commodities um, and uh, we'll, um, then we'll wrap up the show. Back shortly. Hello, welcome back to The Bip Show. Uh, I'm Paul Colgan here with uh, James Whelan in Sydney.
1: Hello, Paul. Thank you for joining us.
0: And Ken Vexler joining us from Amsterdam. Good day, Ken.
1: Hello, mate. Okay,
0: um, you know, just that conversation. Um, I, I took and I made notes for this podcast.
1: You've got a lot of notes over there. Mate. <laughs> I've, got, <laughs> I've got, I've got nothing here. Yeah. I've, 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 I've got to
2: post it with my name on it just in case, uh, just, to just, just to remind me who I am or what my name actually is. K E N. There you yeah. go. It, and I'm talking yeah. to
0: Paul P A U R. Yeah. Um, so, um, but it was something that uh, just in the midst of the uh, stonk, uh, stonk's going to stonk rally um, Mm. during the week, Con Mikalakis uh, tweeted this, and it's a a very short excerpt from uh, a book called The Price of Peace um, by Zachary D. Carter, but it's a book on the uh, life of John Maynard Keynes. Or Milton Keynes. Milton Keynes. (laughs) um, I'm a big fan of Milton Keynes. (laughs) Milton Keynes. Anyway, um, so, um, and and this uh, uh, part of his book tells this story about Keynes. So financial markets Keynes had discovered were very different from the clean-ordered entities economists presented in textbooks. The fluctuations of market prices did not express the accumulated wisdom of rational actors pursuing their own self-interest, but the judgments of flawed men attempting to navigate an uncertain future. Market stability depended not so much on supply and demand, finding an equilibrium as it did on political power, maintaining order, legitimacy, and confidence. I thought it was a very interesting... they, there was, it was uh, Con um, uh who's um, one of the uh, – friend of the show, um, and uh, we'll get him on at some point pretty soon, I think.
1: Nobody uh, gets poetic, isn't it? It
0: is, yeah. Um, but, uh, look, uh, I thought that was an interesting sort of perspective on where we are now because, look, there's an awful lot at stake and we can maybe broaden this um, out into the China discussion um, because uh, – you know, we are talking about um, two different orders, um, sort of the the values question is now in sharp focus with all this business that has happened in Hong Kong uh, this week um, with um, China's National Congress issuing this rule saying, you know, that authorizes um, the use of a range of different measures uh, uh, to crack down on dissent in Hong Kong essentially. um, And... Um, There are certainly some uh, particularly uh, British uh, ex diplomats. Chris Patton was in the media this year, the former Hong Kong governor. He's been in the media this week talking about it and saying, you know, um, that Western countries, and Australia has been, to give them credit, um, has... um,
1: I was amazed by that.
0: uh, They've lined up with with Britain and and, uh, and the US in in saying, look, just... um, China needs to respect the um, one country, two systems uh, principle um, that has been the case ever since uh, Hong Kong was handed back to China. So, um, But I uh, I might start with you, James. Uh, I know you've been watching Hong Kong closely. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on how this is playing out and where this fits into the larger China uh, question?
1: Well, the, okay, okay. So with regards to the Hong Kong situation, it is entirely possible that when this, because this is three, what is it? Three thirty, on a Friday afternoon, the twenty ninth of May. It's entirely possible that by the time this actually is listened to, that the entire spectrum in Hong Kong is has completely shifted somewhere, and it's already all over the place. So, and I I put, I put my 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 old hat on because you always you draw from all the things that you get from from over everything that you've done in your in your career and anything, and and I, I even draw from. My times with my father everyone, – everyone draws from these things, right? Um, and I draw from my time as building a, a, a clearing company back in 2009 called uh, that was called Penson that got bought by Pershing, Bank of New York. And I was in charge of their business continuity plans. So I was their BCP manager, which at that time didn't really – nobody really cared about that sort of thing. Like It, it became a thing – after 2001 when, you know, the Twin Towers attack and then everyone realised we can't have all of our people and all of our systems in this place. We need to be able to, if that building goes down, then we need to actually be able to survive that and, and keep on going. And so BCP became a thing, business continuity planning. How do we keep on going? And the plan that I built at that time uh, survived and, and, and was tested and proven uh, with the Lint uh, Cafe uh, shooting that, you know, everything shut down, everything moved. So I I think I was pretty good at what I did. And I was looking at Hong Kong and going, the plan that I built here, if I was a BCP manager and I saw what was going on in Hong Kong and I knew that inevitably you have to move out of Hong Kong, inevitably you have to. If you've got a you're – a, you're a global bank, you're a global company, you're a global anything and you've got a thing in Hong Kong which is being treated as a one country, two systems – under a special status by the US, whatever you've got, if, and you've got a footing there, then you know that inevitably you're going to have to shift that. And so you don't want to be the, the guy who's in charge of that business continuity waking up one day and the CEO, you've got three missed calls from the CEO, where are you? What is going on in Hong Kong? What are we going to do? You, it, 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 like you can't, like no one gets that call. You get that call, eh, it's fine, it's okay. We shifted to Singapore, we, you, you switch it over, right? But you can't just switch that over. You can't just have people sitting in Singapore. You can't have people sitting in Kuala Lumpur or, or wherever, You've right? You've got to
0: start the process at some point.
1: You've got to start the process, which means you need to get funding, which means you need to organise, which is, you, you need to plan, you need to do all of these things you need to do. It takes ages to organise. We'll talk about the work from home thing, if you want to talk about that later, that, that, that happened during COVID. But this is, this is the thing that I'm talking about now. So... You need to plan it. And once you get the funding, this is, this all happened last year and I would have done it last year. I was I was I was already talking to my other alternatives in that I used to deal with in business continuity and disaster recovery and I was already talking to them last year and just going, okay, you're set for this, right? Well, what do you mean? No, you need to move. You need to be set. And, okay, so imagine, imagine – and I'm an old bookings clerk, right? I, I don't trust anyone unless I've been through a bookings team in an equities desk, right? If you haven't worked the 16-hour the days – that, the, that I used to work, and I don't really trust you on the, on the, in the front office, right, but that's just me. So it was you can't just transfer that kit. You need to be able to train up someone in a different city. You need to train up something to, to, to be able to follow the sun. And so this is where it's like once you've already got the funding and you've already planned it and you've already got the new guys and you've trained it, then when this firework starts, whether or not it actually equates to a switch, you may as well just make the move. Mm. So you're set – for this so when Mike Pompeo comes out and says we're effectively stopping the special status of Hong Kong they haven't officially yet I mean but like I said, by the time that this goes out it's a whole different story so but it's already done mm. you're already committed, so make the switch and that's why i'm I, I, I still stand behind this that Hong Kong is effectively a Chinese city treated as such and Act appropriately.
0: So you think its status as a global financial center
1: is already? It was already descending last year. It was already on its way out. The virus postponed it, and I am confused as to the actions of both parties, the U.S. and China, as to how they're they're, they're tearing this city apart. Mm-hmm. And I talk about it. I talked about it. I talked about it this morning when I was. Uh, I did a thing, and I, I started to feel tears in my eyes as I talked about it. It's like. A hundred years building this city up with that 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 libertarian laisse, laissez-faire just that that capitalism works and this works and, and stay out of our way. We build this city. And to have it just be the the child in the middle of this bizarre divorce for no reason at all when it could still stay as such a great city, it 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 just brought tears to my eyes. Mm
0: um can uh it's the the i mean uh, as I mentioned earlier you know or referred to this earlier, you know it's one part of a very large story with um very significant strategic in- interests at stake um, uh you know enormous global supply chains for all sorts of companies in all sorts of different sectors um and then also obviously you know sort of national status and superpower status uh, um uh, in the mix as well um, how do you think about it um, you know w- w- when you're thinking about how this affects markets as it affects positioning um, and the risk environment um, uh, w- w- what do you see
2: yeah look I suppose uh, let, let's call, let's look at it initially from a from an Australian context or Australian perspective obviously you've got you know China and the relationship that that Australia has with China, and and where it's where and how it's been deteriorating, and certainly mm-hmm. even pre this recent blow up in Hong Kong, where you know tensions have been sort of etching ever higher, um, and obviously being a, a massive trading partner, what that what the implications are for the domestic Australian economy, the currency, uh, and then you look. A little bit more broader broadly across the board globally, and you know the greatest greatest reflection of of the implications uh, at least in the near term uh the chinese uh, the chinese currency right so if you look at what the Aussie's done, the Aussie just completely hasn 't you know batted an eyelid uh, the currency i mean uh, no matter what the tensions have been. Pre Hong Kong, certainly in the last week since Hong Kong's blown up again, the Australian dollar just does not care, and that sort of goes back to to the fact that it's all one trade. Spooz is higher, so Aussies higher. Risk on happy days, right? Yeah, it, it yeah. is worth uh, it
0: is worth pointing out. Just mentioning very quickly that the Australian dollar has been ridiculously strongly correlated to the Nasdaq in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, well, if if, it,
2: yeah, if you overlay, well, you don't even need to overlay it. It's basically an identical chart. Just have a look at the try. weekly chart <laughs> exactly of the Spurs, weekly chart of the Aussie going back to even early March or, or late Feb. And, uh, you know, pardon my French, I oh, shit you not, it is one chart, right? It's 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 like getting tracing paper out when you're in primary school. Um, so, you know, in, in that context... The Aussie doesn't care. Uh, Dollar China is an interesting cross in that, or an interesting currency pair, in that the 720 level, which we approached uh, yesterday and certainly overnight, um, is big. It's big because we got there once. It's a a level in people's minds because it was a point on a chart, but it's also now, because it's such a big level in people's minds, it's also something that's been uh, defended relatively heavily. And by defended, I mean you know, it, all the options trading, the, the Greeks around it, the the Vega, the, the Delta, um, and a bit of the Gamma around it. So, so options des are sort of using that as an anchor point and trading ahead of it. Um, will we go through 720? Looks like. Uh, where's the next stop? Probably 7.30-odd because, again, that's another level that was quoted way back when, and people anticipate that that's the natural uh, natural place it goes. But I would wager, at least in the near term, we might actually back off a little bit and, and and wash out a few people that are that are long of dollar China, looking for that break. So, so a yeah. few
0: years ago, um, uh, you know, China set off ructions in global markets, and I think triggered something like a five five to ten percent sell off in in U.S. stocks when it's significantly devalued. It's uh, by surprise. Um, it's usually like the way it um, sets its cur- the currency every. At the start of every day, uh, trading day in Asia is usually fairly predictable, within a small range, all that kind of stuff. I but David Scott as well, but, but, oh, but it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we'll get Scotty on, I'm sure, at some <laughs> point too. Um, but uh, so they have, a, you know, a narrow range in which they they uh, they telegraph to the market that they're going to set it in, and they went very very low one day, and basically that small adjustment set off a very significant panic. Um, Ken, what's different about this time where they're weakening the currency um, and uh, it's not – and, you know, stonks are up?
2: Yeah, I mean, what's different is the fact that uh, there are more factors at play. There's a trade war that's been going on for God knows how long, the better part of two years, I suppose, now, 18 months. Um, There's uh, obviously global risk in terms of the implications of Hong Kong. So they're just etching – or edging rather, their, their fixes a little bit softer for, for the onshore currency. Uh, the rest of what we're seeing in terms of dollar China, that's the offshore. That's, that's what the rest of the world is pushing around. So they, uh, you know, as, as a fixed sort of variable, give it, give it a sense of where they want it to be or where they think it should be on any given day when they fix it. But then, what we see after hours or after that fix is what the rest of the world perceives it to be. So they have to, within reason of where the market ends up, they like, like they can't fix it miles away from where the market actually is, right? Uh, but by the same token, they they have to find a middle ground between where they think where the market perceives it should be and where they need it to be. So they they're pushing it a little bit, but again, I mean. We're coming up to, you know, Trump's potential re-election. We're coming up to, you know, all manner of continuation of tensions. It it really does no harm the fact that they have a slightly weaker currency, especially in, in, in the wake of this global pandemic, and they, and they need to get, you know, supply chains moving again, and if and when they can.
1: That's, that, that's the kicker. That's the kicker, Ken. That, absolutely spot on. So, it, look, the, the, there was a time last year when that was the big threat and over the trade war Devalue the currency and look at what happens. Like, oh, you know, the, 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 there were two big threats that they had: devalue the currency or sell U.S. treasuries. Which <laughs> no one cares about the second one anymore. I know the world just
0: <laughs> seems so much more simple now, doesn't
1: oh, it? Oh, yeah. China's the biggest holder of U.S. treasuries. What money printer in it kicks? But um, so, Ken, let's get it to brass tacks. Obviously, and I'm the I'm the coal face, like the retail guy on this uh, on this show. China devaluing their currencies. What does that mean for emerging markets?
2: Um, I think I think it's probably a slightly different paradigm. Again, and you know, previously, if China had devalued their currency under you know inverted commas normal circumstances, that means that generally things aren't great globally speaking, and they're trying to sort of uh, I- express their you know I don't know their comparative advantage against other EMs now. It's uh, it's maybe a bit of a signal to uh, risk on, um, or rather not risk on. It's, it's it's an additional form of stimulus, if you will. So as far as other EMs are concerned, um, there's there's maybe some some further uh, uh, a boost behind EMs. But everything's a bit disparate these days. So you know why are you in the EMs, as it were? You're in the EMs for. Sector significant and geo geographic reasons, so it's not it's not a carte blanche to go right. Let's buy EMs, in my view at least.
0: You know, um, it's interesting that you say that because uh, so many things are are so different from uh, four or five months ago. Um, that you know, <clears throat> I mean. We were talking uh, in the lead up to this about economic data, you know, and I do think in this show, you know, we will look at economic data, dig into data reports, and you know, try and you know read the entrails, all
1: that kind of David stuff. David Scott will it's, be it's back. Fun. We miss it. We all miss cut. It's show. fun,
0: um, but um, <clears throat> like so, but I I wonder, um, uh, um, like the other thing about this is that at the moment, because of the haymaker that the global economy has taken right to the face it's basically down on the mat and uh you know there's going to be a count here before anything before the veil lifts and and anything uh, gets a remark, you know any semblance of normal it's you know it's um basically on a um, on a fiscal lifeline um i don't want to mix my metaphors too much but the, you know fiscal stimulus um and central bank support central bank puts are um keeping the global economy alive. They're keeping global you know, um, um, markets functioning. Um, they're keeping liquidity across the system be, be, to make sure that people can do the small amount of trading in some corners that they want to do, particularly when it comes to um, credit markets, et cetera, um, that you can find buyers, that you can make markets. So that they're keeping things functioning. Um, but I guess uh, like we're seeing PMIs at... 13, I think, in some places, which is a nonsense number, right? Um, it's,
1: yeah, it, it, it means nothing. Mm. It means nothing. We already assumed that it was going to be as bad as it could possibly be. There's, like, it, 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 this, was that, this was that thing of just, like, every single time someone tweets something, oh, look at auto sales, look at this, this PMI is bad. This, it's like, I just, it's already, it's already yeah. baked in.
0: Retail sales down a million percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Right? Uh, like it's it's I already assumed that the world was going to end physically. We're sitting we're sitting in this office that that this is the real the real chat. We're sitting in this office that in the, I think it was the first week of March, where we were actually just thinking we need to change what we do. Right, that's that. What well, we thought yeah. we, we, it's it's shotguns yeah. shotguns out load up on shells because <laughs> the zombies are coming and, and the yeah. pandemic is is like these guys are over the horizon. We already – I do want to
0: pick up on this because it, it, one of the things that really annoys me at the moment is people going on about how better decisions should have been made in February, March, you know. the You know, the virus isn't all that bad. Harry Hindsight. Oh, <laughs> the world's best trader, isn't it? Every, you know, everybody is so smart now and you're right, Ken, Harry Hindsight is perfect for it, you know, and there's a bunch of it out there and uh, particularly from those who are saying, well, you know, I've been saying since the start that um, this isn't that bad. <laughs> <Ken's> <laughs> James is pointing at him going, what, do you mean me? Uh, I said, no, no.
1: <laughs> in January I was saying that this was the oh, – no, in February I was saying on record this is the most mispriced event in our generation. And it was
0: when stocks were climbing higher,
1: yeah. Yeah, and it was climbing higher. It was just like there's no reason for this. That it it needs to be. It was a it was a mispriced event. But like, go back to what you said at the very start of this show, Ken. It was very efficient in the down, and it was super efficient on the on the rebound back. We are yeah, discounting. That, and,
2: and and as a. I was sort of I was, I was thinking about this uh, overnight, just in 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 preparation for for the podcast. I think that's that's the key thing that is so different generally about markets in the last couple of years, as opposed to you know way back when. In that. When markets reprice, almost irrespective of the asset class, be it fixed income, equities, currencies, whatever, it used to be a case of the repricing, if there was a genuine macro fundamental reason, whatever else, it was a smooth, relatively smooth process. It was, you know, if you can imagine over an arc, you know, people get got on, got out, thought about why and how, and there was a smooth move as to, you know, where the new Price and new paradigm should be now in in I suppose the last three four five years the moves the repricing is so sudden so erratic so it's basically you know if you can picture it's just one big jagged move you know so everything's flat line flat line flat line then all of a sudden spike up or spike down and then we're flat line again flat line you know so that I think in essence is the massive difference that the repricing happens so so quickly, so violently, and once it's done, you just wait for the next. So whether that's a, a mark of efficiency, a mark of liquidity, a different paradigm, courtesy of global central banks and, you know, whatever. But I think that's the key, key difference here.
1: It was it was amazing that we crammed eight months of GFC into a couple of weeks. And that yeah. that, that blew my mind that I thought that it was going to be more and more and more and more. Okay, so... Paul, I think that you'll give me the wrap-up signal. I'm not hosting it; you're hosting it. But uh, Ken, I've got to ask you, mate. So April, May, we've we've done okay. We're heading into June, uh, end of the financial year for for a lot of the world. What's your? I I want to know, Ken. What's your? What's your? What's your play? What do you? What's your? What's your view?
2: Um, I think, and, and especially sat here 29 May month end, I think there's there's probably a little bit more upside in risk as a whole, which means that the Spooz revisits the overnight highs. But I think in the near term, sort of as June kicks off, I think you know people are going to get confused and think, oops, sell in May, look, it's coming off. But yeah, the Spooz will come off because there'll be stories for it to, to come off, but it'll probably only come off a couple of percent. Trade a range for the near term. And then we reevaluate as, as other countries continue to open up and whatever else. So I think maybe some risk comes off the table in the early days of June. So you, you sort of, you guard yourself and you take some profits, but then you reevaluate sort of a week or two later and, and have a look at, at, at the way the world looks. And that's, that's really where we're at. Thinking too far out ahead, you're wasting your time.
1: Yeah. Spot on. Spot on. Uh, and, and what we've done is, is shift out of, just do a simple valuation shift, shift out of, Little bit of out of tech, so we've you know we've taken that because tech is super 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 high valued out of the work from home stocks, and we've just gone with good old fashioned industrials, US industrials on a valuation play, just good old you know, Dennis Gartman, drop it on your foot, it makes a noise, whatever, whatever he says that that that, that thing just because it's either organic or it's synthetic, and train companies, Boeing. These, these things, that's, that's sort of where that goes and it's just that valuation and it's that what we're doing is just that range but sector-specific ranging and that's, and that's it.
0: Look, uh, there was a whole bunch of things that we were thinking that we might talk about on the show but we um, haven't got to them which is a good sign because there's stacks and stacks and stacks to talk about. Um, in the coming weeks, I want to get to NMT. I want to get to gold. I want to get to yield curve control, which we didn't manage to touch on this uh, this week, but the Fed might be doing it in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, and we'll oh, certainly easy, be... go easy, easy. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, um, John Williams did talk about it. They could. Yeah, they could. They could. They, uh, they might do it. Um, so we'll be watching that. Um, but we should also... Have a yak about how it's working here in Australia, what the results have been in Japan, why they do it, what it is, blah, blah, blah. So we'll cover all of that. Um, I do want to get into um, the whole, um, you know, what shape the Australian economy is going to come out of uh, in this, what it all looks like, particularly as the relationship with China, which we have been so dependent on. Uh, continues to evolve Um, so uh, look there is lots to talk about and the other thing is we are going to have some cracking guests on here join us for a basically what we want to have is an honest discussion about what we think um, and to be able to pick things apart a little bit so uh, do get in touch with us Um, uh, you can find us all on Twitter Uh, it's at Colgo at James Wheelan 42 and at Ken Vexler Uh, drop us a line Don't forget to subscribe to the show and uh, rate us and leave us a review uh, and maybe tell some friends about it. Okay, you've been listening to The Bip Show. Uh, I'm Paul Colgan. Um, I've been here with James Whelan.
1: Thank you, Paul. Always great, mate. It's good to be back in action.
0: Uh, And Ken Vexler on the line from Amsterdam. Ken, thanks very much, man.
1: No, thank you, guys. Been a pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Okay,
0: we'll catch you next time. Thanks.